0: John chapter 17, again, um, verse 13 tells us, Now I come, now come I to thee, Father, and these things speak. I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. So specifically says there that he's praying these things audibly. In verse 1, John tells us, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said... And again, speaking audibly. So here's John, old man, putting the quill to the page. This is the only gospel where we have this upper room discourse from 13 through 17. And John, no doubt in his heart, as is, is the Holy Spirit has him writing, is thinking about this prayer. Three chapters he had been instructing the disciples. And then in chapter 17, it says he stops and then he starts to address his father in heaven, lifts his eyes And he's speaking to him. And when we get to verse 13 there, he says that he's speaking these things out loud so that their joy might be full. That his joy might be fulfilled in them. So there's something in this that he wants us to hear. There's something in this that he's preserved these 2,000 years. And he wants us to take to our own hearts. No doubt it was specific to the 11 in a very, you know, purposeful way. But... As his disciples, there are things here for all of us, undoubtedly. So we're going to read down from 14 to 20 today. It says this, I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So here again, you know, you hear some of this and you think, well, what does this mean? And What does that mean? There is no this. What does this mean? It's God the Son speaking to God the Father. And there are things here that no doubt are immeasurable, the breadth and the width of them says, in the ages to come, we're still going to be learning about his grace and glory. So this is loaded. It's full. There's so much here. And God, by his grace, you know, again, gives us our portion. I encourage you during the week to sit alone with it and let it speak to you. Just to listen to God the Son speaking to God the Father is remarkable. So verse 13, he says, he speaks this out loud that we might have his joy fulfilled in us. In verse 14, he begins by saying, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's going to give us three kind of issues he's addressing. One is right here in in 14, that the world has hated them. So what he's going to do, he's going to pray to the Father. Well, then, Father, the world has to them, keep them from the evil one. Then he's going to say, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It's not their home. So, sanctify them through thy truth. And lastly, says the Father, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them. And in verse 19, the provision is, so I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified. And, and it's this wonderful picture. I have given unto them thy word, therefore the world hath hated them. They're not of this world, neither am I of this world. So uh, I'm so thankful he's given us his word, aren't you? I can't imagine watching the news today without his word. I can't imagine measuring my course or my destiny or any of that without his word. And it's interesting here, he says, I have given them, which is a perfect tense, and they are still in possession of it, And to give is to give as a gift. So he's given his word. He's gifted them with his word. And he's given it in such a way that they still are in possession of what he had given. And here we are this morning in possession of what he had given. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. So no surprise. You know. Isn't it interesting, sometimes during the week we go to work, we go to school, we're around friends, unsaved people, and we're kind of shocked that they don't like something we say. Or we get around a group of people that are giving us a hard time or mocking us. there's no surprise. He said, he said, I've given them thy word, Lord. And they possess it. They have it. And the world has hated them because of that. Look, the word of God is a different set of rules than the world has. You know, we look at the world and we see it in calamity. We see it divided. We see it hostile to itself. The division in politics, the racial division in our country, the monetary division, the moral division, the international divisions, military divisions, everything that's going on If you just leave the world alone, they'll kill themselves. You don't even mess with them. You just leave them alone. There's enough hostility to go around. But then there's a particular kind of hostility. And it's towards you and I because of the word of God. Look, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they normally hated each other. They wouldn't do anything together. But when they had a common enemy, Jesus Christ, they conspired together how to deal with this. And the world that we live in hates us. Because we will not be conformed to their image. We will not endorse their morals. We will not endorse their view on a thousand other things. Because we have a book that contradicts their direction, that speaks of their destiny versus our destiny, and they can't hack it. So they've been busy killing each other, but be encouraged. They're gonna do that to us in a specific way. And he says, they're not of this world even as I am not of this world. It's so important for us to realize that because there's so much of the church that tries to be of this world. They try to be cool. They try to, you know, if I do this, then we can be relative. They, Jesus said, no, they're not of this world even as I am not. He didn't come to be cool. Jesus didn't come with Rolex watch and $3,000 sneakers and Light shows and lasers and smoke machines. Isn't that how he came? He was a carpenter for 30 years. Nobody even knew he was there. And he says, he says, Father, the world hates them because they have your word. They have that. And they've hated me as well because I'm not of this world. He had warned them in chapter 15. He had said to them, If the world hate you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our homeland. That's where everything finally is going to be the way that it should be. And, and we long for that. And we think about it, but the world we're in is hostile to all of that because it wants us to play the game. And if it sees someone accept Christ, particularly if you led them to Christ, then they're going to hate you more because they see that person then as a turncoat, as a traitor. They've gone to the other side. Look, many of us, when we got saved, are old friends. Why aren't you getting high anymore? Why aren't you hanging around with us anymore? Why aren't you carrying around anymore? And he says here, the thing is, they're hating them, Father, because I've given them your word. They have your word. They're in possession of it. And because of that, the world hates them. We we just have a set of rules. We will not conform to the world's standards. We don't yield to it. And the world sees that. And knows that and takes note of it, you know. You you think of the insanity we're seeing around us today. And he says, they've hated them because they are not of the world, even as I, in the same way that I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you should take them out of the world. But thou shouldest keep them from, your translation might say, the evil it may say the evil one, there's an argument about the article and so forth. First he says, I'm not praying that you should take them out of the world. That's kind of a bummer to me. I don't know about you, you know. Because I've been praying lately, Lord, take us the heck out of here. You know, it's just, why, what's the holdup? You can't be happy with what's going on down here. It's just gone to madness, you know. And he says that, that that evil would abound, iniquity would abound, even the agape of of those would grow cold because of how evil it would be. Like the days of Noah, like the days of Lot were surrounded with it. Lawlessness, wickedness. And you and I then can sit and think, Lord, why don't you take us out of here? Now, granted, the people in Egypt said, Lord, why don't you get us out of here? The people in Persia said, Lord, why don't you get us out of here? The people in Babylon were thinking, Lord, why don't you get us out of here? The Christians in Rome were thinking, Lord, why don't you get us out of here? I just think it's time now. You know, uh, we, we see, you know, Israel reborn as a nation. We see all the things the Lord said we would see. I can't imagine limping around much further with, with the, the, the climate that we're in. But he says, I'm not praying, Father, you take them out of the world." Because the world so desperately needs them. The world doesn't know it. The world's in darkness. The world's in hopelessness. And the only thing the world's going to hear to lift any of that, to bring light, is the gospel. He said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. So he says here, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. That's not what I'm asking for. And look. Understand his will here, because there are some people who decide to take themselves out of this world. Suicide, whatever it might be, or, you know, I'm going to be inebriated. I'm, I'm going to use substance to just get myself out of all. We know those things aren't right. But there's another side, there's a religious side, where people think, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be separate, Monastic lifestyle, I'm going to move to a cave or I'm going to move with hermits or monks somewhere. And, and it is, insinuates that sin is something that we can separate ourselves from. It insinuates a form of self righteousness that if I get away from all the bad people, I'm going to be good. And it takes no consideration of the fact that, that we have evil in our fallen nature that you can't escape from, all of us. Don't look at the guy next to you. We all have it. (laughs) So there is evil because there is the evil one. There is evil in our own hearts and lives. It doesn't rain anymore, but it's there. You know there's a traitor within. If you say you don't know that, my baloney meter goes right off. There is evil they'll face in persecution, and martyrdom. And all of that, all those machinations are because there's darkness behind you. Look at the world today, the morals. You look at the multi-billionaires, you know, international corporate heads and people that are trying to control the world. There's darkness behind all of that. Ultimately, it will all lend itself to the Antichrist who wouldn't surprise me if he's alive somewhere now. So he says, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, even though the world hates them, because they have your word. And because of that, the world desperately needs them. So, Father, what I'm asking is, as they're in the world, that you would protect them, keep them from the evil one. That you wouldn't let him have an upper hand in any of these things. Um, remember you and I as we look at this look he comes at us you know differently than he's going to come at somebody who's an unbeliever because their morals are different their attitude about so many other things is different but the evil one you know we're told condemnation is from the devil and when you're being condemned The one who's condemning you, in reality, is condemning God. The one who is accusing you, in reality, is accusing God. That there could be a God that calls himself holy, unapproachable, in glory. And that through the blood of his son, he can take scoundrels like us and call us his own sons and daughters because of the work that somebody else did. And when the devil is condemning you, he's actually condemning God. When he's accusing you, he's actually accusing God. Because the truth is, we're his. We've been bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. They belong to him. So this evil one comes, and he comes in a number of different directions. He says here, you know, Father, I'm not saying take them out, which is a single act. He says, but I'm asking that you would keep them, which is a, a constative. It keeps happening, I mean, that you would be you know, continuing in this, that you would keep them. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, which sets the stage now. For verse 17, what do we do in the world where the world hates us, where there's an evil one? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Where this world hates us. And he says, but you've given them your word. So then in verse 17, he talks about medicinally what is ours. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. Is truth. That our remedy, our medicine in a world that hates us, where there is evil, is that we have in the middle of all of this a light. We have the word of God. We have something that can sanctify us, set us aside. Now look, it doesn't just mean keep us out of trouble. Certainly it means that. You know, Israel understood the whole process of sanctity. You know, um, they washed, they cleanse, they did things that other nations didn't do. God even had to stoop down and say, look, if you find a mouse or a lizard in your pot of grain, uh, don't re-gift somebody. Break the pot, okay? Because he had to stoop down to our kitchen and tell us not to give something funky that looked good to somebody else. He's that involved in our lives. So the... Israelis cleaned their pots. You know, they made sure they were clean. There was nothing there. But as they were clean, they were not sanctified. To be sanctified meant that the vessel was given over to the Lord's purposes and had no purpose of its own. That has nothing to do with just being clean that we should be. What are we doing with our lives and are we setting them over to his purpose? You know, The tabernacle was sanctified. Aaron and his sons were sanctified. You know, their garments were sanctified. The priesthood was sanctified. There were certain things that were set apart in the temple and the tabernacle exclusively for God's use. And Jesus says that here. Sanctify them. Set their lives aside. Father... And that's an imperative, Father, it's imperative that you do this. Set them apart. Withdraw them from the ordinary. Not by being taken out of the world, but by being separate from it as they're in it. And separated to you. And when it comes to our sanctification, there are three phases to it. The past, the present, and the future for you and I. Positionally, we're told that we are sanctified um, by the Lord. We're told in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of truth in Him. Peter will tell us, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification. "...of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be unto you, and be multiplied, and so forth." So, the, the scripture tells us that in the beginning of time, Ephesians says, before the world was, he called us. There's something in there. Well, that's election. I guess it is. Do you know what you're saying? Nah. I know what the Bible says. So somehow in the, in the internal counsels of God, he sanctified us. And it says we came to faith through that sanctification. So there's a past sanctification. There is a present sanctification that is experiential. Uh, again, First Thessalonians will tell us this. It says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornicational, sexually immoral things. Look at the world we're living in. God's will, who sanctified us before the worlds were created, in our experiential, you know, manifestation of that sanctification, says that we would abstain from sexually Impure and, and forbidden things is one of the reasons that the world hates us. It's so clear what he has to say in John 15. He has said, "Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you." He said that to the disciples when he washed their feet. He said, "You're all clean, but one who was one of those that weren't given to him." We find that seven times through the prayer here. And then there's, you know, Psalm 119 says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, or a young woman? How does that happen? Wherewithal does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word, O Lord. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word, he says, is truth. And then, past, present, future sanctification. Man, am I looking forward to that. When we're finally out of here, set aside for eternity, seeing our Savior face to face, worshiping with angels and saints from all of the ages, no flesh, no temptation, no selfishness, no hatred, no prejudice, no war, no nonsense. Half a second, you know, just a micron of a second, step to the other side, everything's good. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. And ultimately, we're set aside for that. You think you know what eyeballs are for? You have no idea. You think you know what ears are for? You have no idea. When we step into a place that has been prepared for us, I'm going to prepare a place for you, for every fiber in our glorified body. We don't know anything about home until we step into that place. And that's our future sanctification, which continues, it goes on. And he says that this happens through the truth, the Logos. His word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, a noun. He doesn't say your word is true. Well, certainly it is. We know that. But it's more than that. He says thy word is truth itself. Um, Jesus Christ. Said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that the Spirit is truth. So God's Word, God's Son, God's Spirit, there's something in in all of this the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Son, God the Father, there is truth. Understand this it is absolutely true, God's Word. It is not relatively true. It is absolutely true how you should spend your day, how you should seek him in prayer, how you should read his word, how you should treat your spouse, how you should treat your kids, how you should treat the people you work with, how you should treat the people that work for you, how you should treat the people in your class or your university. God's word is truth. It is absolutely truth, not relatively truth. Truth. You can't mess with it. It is, he says, completely true, not partially. It can't be, if it's partially true, it can't be truth. It is completely true, not partially true. We can't argue with that. And by the way, we see so much of the church today trying to water down what the word says so they can be relative to a culture. That hates them. Makes no sense to me. We're not of this world. He says it clearly as we go through here. But he has given us his word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And he even says, Father, I'm not saying take them out because the world needs them. The world needs the gospel. But I am saying, Father, protect them from the evil one. As you sent me, I send them. He's saying, and and this is what what we need to do. Sanctify them. Set them aside like the holy vessels in the temple. Sanctify them. They were sanctified before the world was made. They need to be sanctified now. They're going to be sanctified for eternity. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What a high view of the scripture we have from Jesus himself. Remarkably inerrant, you know, inspired, absolute. Verse 18, he says this. It says, and thou hast sent me into the world, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So... As thou hast sent me, Jesus calls himself the sent one six times in this prayer. As thou hast sent me, even so, in the language speaks, it denotes an exact replica. Father, even as you have sent me, that's how I have sent them. And the word sent there in both places is from Apostello, where we get the word a sent one, a messenger, an apostle. So he says, As you have sent me, even so, like that, Father. I have sent them, not taken them out of the world, but I have sent them into the world. And if you and I are sent into the world, we have to realize we're not of the world because if our lives are not sanctified, the enemy's gonna have fun with us and the world's gonna see no difference between the way we live and they live. As you've sent me, even so, Father, that's how I send them. It's interesting. He said the same thing the resurrection morning. He said, peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus was 30 years in a carpenter shop. Only had public ministry for three and a half years. Again, he didn't need $3,000 sneakers or light shows or smoke. Uh, it's a carpenter. And he said, I don't bear witness of myself. If I would do that, my witness wouldn't be true. But the Father bears witness of me. And I think sometimes wherever we're at in life, we try so hard to get recognition. We, we kind of all yearn for affirmation But he says, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. If your life is set aside, as mine was, he says, even as you sent me, Father, so send I them. We don't have to be bearing witness to ourselves. We only need to be yielded to him to see what what could possibly happen with one life given to Jesus Christ, set aside for his purposes. And he reaffirms that in verse 19. He says... And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through, again, the truth. Uh, You know, you look and think, okay, he's saying, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified. How can Jesus sanctify himself? How can a sinless one make himself any more sinless? He can't make himself any more holy you know i sanctify myself not in regards to any moral purity the idea is he sanctifies himself like that vessel that was set forth for the use of the lord he said i'm sanctifying is a present tense i am sanctifying myself i'm giving myself not making myself holier or more moral. I am setting my life aside, Father, for you. In Gethsemane, he's going to pray three times, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And he said, I'm doing that so that they might be sanctified. Interesting there, it's a perfect passive. They might always be having become pacified. Was, but the Lord does that, and once it's ours, it's ours. In the truth. So Jesus is saying, Look, you know, he doesn't say, Look to his father, I'm talking to you. He, you know, he says, Father, say, I'm going to sanctify myself, set myself aside for your calling, your purposes, so that they might be sanctified, that their lives might be set aside they have your truth and because they have your truth the world hates them because they're not of this world and father I'm not asking you to take them out of the world the world would then be hopeless I'm just asking you to keep them from the evil one and as you sent me I send them he says so then the remedy sanctify them Through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. All of us here today have that wonderful invitation to set ourselves aside for his purposes. Life doesn't last long. We're aware of the, the struggles that we have. We're certainly not doing this perfect, but we can be set aside for his purposes in a world that hates us. No sense trying to please that because we have a book that doesn't agree with them that book is truth, completely, absolutely. There's no wiggle room, it is truth. And he said, so I sanctify myself that they may be, become not with their own labor and remain Mm -hmm. sanctified through the truth. And then he changes gears in verse 20. He says this, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Here we are. He's looking 2000 years down the history of mankind. and He sees us sitting here in church this morning with his word, believing in him. And it's interesting as I, as I look at that, you know, I'm thinking here's John again, 90 years old when the average life expectancy was 45, this ancient guy and the Holy Spirit has him putting the quill to the page here. Peter's gone, James is gone, Paul's gone, the apostles are all gone, martyred. Jerusalem's been leveled and destroyed. And he's sitting most likely in Ephesus in a church. And he's thinking about those who will believe. He's surrounded with them in Ephesus. Through the word, Lord, you've given us, that they will believe. And in one sense, I think there's a truth there that is worth taking note of. That the next generation is always brought in by the word of God. God. Not by human machination, not by sideshows, not by entertainment, not by a thousand other things, not by trying to be relative or, you know, the the next generation believes because of the word of God the generation before had and passes along. There's anything more important you can do in the lives of your sons and daughters, your grandchildren, than to affirm God's word. It never returns void. It accomplishes what it is sent forth to do. Thessalonians says it's effectual in our lives and it sanctifies us. God's word, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is in itself completely and absolutely truth, period. Isn't that wonderful? Because it tells us we're getting out of here soon. So look, if you're here today and somebody drug you out, you're not a believer. Um, you made a deal. If you take me to Friendlies for breakfast, I'll go to your dumb church with you. Look, if, you, if, you, if you're here and you don't know Christ, but you're listening and you realize I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope behind this leave. I, you know, at I, I, I one time I was hating hearing what these Christians are saying, but I am so empty now. If this is truth, I want to know about it. And if that's who you are this morning, listen. God so loved the world that you live in. That he gave his only begotten son. If you are weary and torn and broken. He said, come to me. All you that labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your souls. You come today, if you don't know him, the pastors will be down here afterwards, simply to ask Jesus to forgive you, to be your Savior, acknowledging that you need forgiveness. I'd love to give you a Bible, some literature. We don't want your email. We don't want your phone number. We don't want nothing from you. We want everything for you. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these things, and Lord, just to look at them, we just kind of know we're scratching the surface. We just can't even, Lord, think about God talking to God, Lord. And you put it to the page, and you preserved it so we could be with it here this morning. And Lord, let it do what it does. Let it sanctify. Let it rise off the page and speak to each one of us individually. In the particular way, Lord, you know we need to hear truth this morning. And, Lord, we do pray for any that are here that have never come, that they don't want to play church, they don't want anything that's phony and religious, but they're done, Lord. They're running on empty. Would you gather them into your arms of love today, Lord? Would you... Allow them, Lord Jesus, not to come to Calvary Chapel, but to you, Lord Jesus, and ask your forgiveness for the lives they've lived. And repent, Lord, to turn and come to you today. Lord, we ask you to do that, Lord. Your word says you add to the church daily as such as should be saved. It's not our work, Lord. We delight to see it. It's yours, Lord. Hear us as we lift these words to you. Let it be a corporate prayer, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. We're so thankful that you sanctified yourself, that we might be sanctified. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.